the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Faith.com. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. I want us to begin to see how Paul clarifies an important issue the issue that he's been teaching, the issue of unity. He's been teaching that throughout most of the letter, but what he's been stressing in the opening verses of chapter 4 is especially significant, and Paul doesn't want to be misunderstood. So, as you recall, in chapter 4, Paul has been teaching that because believers in Christ have become one body, one family, we should all, he said, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. He says that in chapter 4, verse 1. In other words, our conduct in the way that we treat and relate to other Christians is to match the life to which God has called us. There is a certain conduct that is required of us. And the way to do this, Paul says, the way to treat one another properly is to have the right inner attitudes. And so in chapter 4, verse 2, he speaks of the attitudes of humility and gentleness and patience, and loving tolerance. And the purpose of all of this, Paul says in verse 3, is to live in peace with one another, so that we aren't constantly fighting, and bickering, and being divisive, and having disunity. He says that in verse 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. treat and relate to other Christians is to match the life to which God has called us. Now that is one of the thoughts we will be exploring on today's verse-by-verse program with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. This is the first session in our series on unity and spiritual growth, taken from Ephesians chapter 4. As Pastor Steve explores the concept of unity today, he will draw a distinction between unity and uniformity. There's a big difference between those two words. Oneness among Christ followers does not mean that we are in complete agreement on every subject. Besides talking about unity, Pastor Steve is going to introduce the topic of spiritual gifts. If that is a topic you've wondered about in the past, you can rest assured Pastor Steve will give us a proper biblical perspective on that topic. So, here is Pastor Steve. One of the most important qualities of being an effective, a good Bible teacher is the pursuit for clarity, to be clear. That is to say, effective Bible teachers are always 
concerned to make sure that what they're teaching from the word is presented in a clear manner. It almost doesn't matter if you're accurate unless you're clear, because if you're accurate and nobody really understands what you're saying, it makes no difference anyway. So clarity, the pursuit of clarity is indispensable so that people understand and they comprehend what you're teaching. It was this pursuit of clarity by the Apostle Paul that made him such a good teacher, a great teacher. Of course, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he was clear in his presentation. Paul always endeavored to make sure that he wasn't misunderstood, that his readers didn't misinterpret his words. And you can see this actually a number of times throughout Paul's letters. For example, in Romans chapter 5, After teaching about the grace of God and justification by faith alone, Paul opens chapter 6 by making sure that no one misunderstands the doctrine of grace as a license to sin. And so after speaking about grace and justification, here's what Paul says in Romans 6.1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase. And then he goes on to say, may it never be, perish the thought. But Paul was concerned that he wouldn't be misunderstood. And so he balanced it. And then he went into explaining how sin will never dominate a true believer. He does the same thing in 1 Corinthians 5, when he tells the Corinthian church that they needed to discipline one of their members who was having an immoral relationship with the stepmother. And in telling them this, Paul reminds them that he's already written to them in a previous letter instructing them not to associate with anyone who is immoral. He says in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. But then Paul realizes and immediately clarifies what he means so that the Corinthians would not misunderstand his teaching. And so right after this, immediately he says this, I did not mean at all with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you'd have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater and so forth. So you can see in Paul's writings in his mind, clarity was always an important issue. And he does this throughout his letters. There are many attempts by the Apostle Paul to make sure that he's not misunderstood. I want us to begin to see how Paul clarifies an important issue, the issue that he's been teaching, the issue of unity. He's been teaching that throughout most of the letter, but what he's been stressing in the opening verses of chapter 4 is especially significant, and Paul doesn't want to be misunderstood. So, as you recall, in chapter 4, Paul has been teaching that because believers in Christ have become one body, one family, we should all, he said, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. He says that in chapter 4, verse 1. In other words, our conduct in the way that we treat and relate to other Christians is to match the life to which God has called us. There is a certain conduct that is required of us. And the way to do this, Paul says, the way to treat one another properly is to have the right inner attitudes. And so in chapter 4, verse 2, he speaks of the attitudes of humility and gentleness and patience and loving tolerance. And the purpose of all of this, Paul says in verse 3, is to live in peace with one another. So that we aren't constantly fighting and bickering and being divisive and having disunity. He says that in 
verse 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. And the foundational reason for this, the theological reason for why we should behave as one and treat one another as one body, well, in verses 4 through 6, Paul says there are theological reasons why we should do this. Notice there is one body, one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, if this was all that Paul had said about unity, it is very likely that we would misunderstand him, that we would not grasp all that he was saying. And the reason for this is because the concept of unity is often wrongly understood to be synonymous with the concept of uniformity, a dull, monotonous, boring sameness. As one Bible teacher put it, there's always the danger of our conceiving of unity in terms of uniformity. Our tendency is to think of unity as consisting of a number of things which are absolutely identical in every respect with no difference at all, such as a sheet of postage stamps. But I want you to know that's not at all what Paul meant about unity and oneness among Christians as members of the body of Christ. See, in forming the church, the Lord designed it to have great diversity. And not simply diversity because we all come from various backgrounds. That's understood. We have different backgrounds, different personalities. But listen very closely. This is critical to understand this, especially where Paul is going to take us. God designed the church to be diverse and varied because of the variety of what the Bible calls spiritual gifts. Gifts that he gives to members of the body of Christ. And that's why, as Paul continues in chapter 4, he's going to clarify this issue of Christian unity by explaining that in addition to holding some things exactly the same, we have some of the things that are exactly the same, but also Christians differ from one another. And he does this in teaching us about spiritual gifts. Let me read to you from verse 7 all the way to 16, because this is one unit. So he's talking about things that we all have in common, and then great diversity. It's unity with diversity. Verse 7, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up the body of Christ until we all attained to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, these verses, as I said, they form one complete section. Just think of it as a paragraph, one unit of thought in which 
Paul explains how Jesus Christ gives spiritual gifts to his church to enable his church to function properly as the body of Christ by helping its members to grow and to mature in him. This is a critical passage of scripture if we're to understand God's plan for the church. And tonight, I want to introduce to you Paul's teaching Just one verse from Paul's teaching on unity and spiritual gifts. I want to look at the opening verse of this section, verse 7, where the apostle reveals that every believer has received a spiritual gift. Notice what he says, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, I want you to notice how Paul begins this verse. Notice that he starts off with the word but, which is a word of contrast. In this case, it also is referring back to what Paul has just taught, which is about unity and oneness and what every believer has in Christ. So there's a contrast with what he's just taught with what he's about to teach. In other words, what has he just told us? He's just told us about certain things that we all hold in common, in which there is absolutely sameness and no difference. One Lord, one baptism, one Father, and so forth. So... We are all part of the same body, having that same one spirit, having been called in the same one hope of our calling, having the exact same one Lord, believing in the same one faith, confessing the same one truth about Christ at our baptism, and having the same one Father who is over all of us. That's what he's just said. But although there are certain things about us that are exactly the same, exactly the same with every other believer in terms of what we believe and what we have experienced, that doesn't mean that as members of the body of Christ, we are a boring mass of identical assembly line, cookie cutter type Christians who have nothing unique or distinct about us. And that's exactly what Paul is attempting to clarify. And so notice, he opens this section with the word but, and then follows it with the words to each of us. So what is he doing? Listen carefully. Paul closed the previous paragraph, verse 6, stressing that all believers have a special relationship with God as their father. He is the father of all, notice all, who is over all, and through all, and in all, but now, In verse 7, Paul turns what we all have to what each one of us has. In other words, the contrast is between those things that are common and the same amongst all Christians to what each one of us has that is distinct and different from each other. And what is it that each believer has that's different from every other believer? Let's look at the verse again. But to each one of us, grace was given according to to the measure of Christ's gift. Now what Paul is saying is that when we were saved, at our conversions, Christ gave to us certain gifts, and he did it in varying measures or measurements, so that no two believers have the same exact measure of the same gift. In other words, in giving us these gifts, Jesus gave them in different measures so that there would be complete diversity and distinction making the body of Christ have unity but variety at the same time. Now let me explain. The gift and the grace that Paul is referring to, it's not the gift of eternal life. It's not salvation. It's not even saving grace. But rather, he's talking about a gift that equips us 
to serve the Lord so that we have God's grace or his help or his strength in serving him. These gifts are commonly known as spiritual gifts. And Paul writes about them in more detail in 1 Corinthians 12. In Romans chapter 12, Peter also mentions them in 1 Peter chapter 4. But here in Ephesians 4, 7, what Paul is stressing is that each and every Christian has received a unique spiritual gift that is distinct, different, because it has been distributed by Christ in varying measures so that each believer serves him in a distinct way. You are going to serve the Lord differently than anybody else. That's in essence what he's saying. Now, spiritual gifts are not to be misunderstood as natural abilities and talents or skills that you were born with. So that if you have a God-given ability, let's say in music or athletics or even teaching a secular subject, that's not a spiritual gift. Unsaved people have those talents as well. Spiritual gift is something that God gives us at salvation that you didn't have before. Now, the Lord may indeed use your talent in music, but that's not a spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are reserved only for Christians, and spiritual gifts are God-given abilities that he gives you, as I said, at your conversion for the purpose of helping you to effectively serve the Lord and edify, build up the body of Christ. Perhaps the most helpful passage on this is from 1 Corinthians 12. Let me read 1 Corinthians 12. You can turn there. I don't hear pages rustling anymore. I don't know. Do you not bring your Bible to church? Okay, it's on the tablets. That's what it is. I can't hear the tablets. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, and then verses 4 through 7. Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts. Here's where we get that expression, spiritual gifts, brethren. I don't want you to be unaware. So Paul wants them to understand this. He wants us to understand this. Verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Now, in light of what we read here, we need to understand that God has planned that in the body of Christ, there is to be a great variety of gifts and ministries. You can look at those verses yourself. He speaks of variety of ministries, variety of gifts, variety of effects, so that we all don't serve the Lord in exactly the same fashion with exactly the same God-given ability. Even when someone has the same kind of spiritual gift, it's going to differ from someone else. For example, those who have been given, let's say, the gift of teaching, which is teaching the Bible, they're going to differ from others in how that gift is manifested. Some have been given the ability to teach, let's say, from the pulpit, others in a classroom setting, others in communicating to children, to teenagers, to others, some in a discipleship mentoring relationship. In addition, one teacher may emphasize knowledge, scholarly information, while another is going to emphasize perhaps application, exhortation to obey. Others may stress encouragement in their teaching, while others may emphasize doctrine. All of those who have been given this gift have it in a different measure, in a different way. And their personality also comes through. So they've been given the spiritual gift, let's say, of teaching, but there's going to be a variety of 
measures of grace so that they operate in a distinct manner. And I just use that as an example of one of the gifts. Now, concerning the uniqueness of each one's spiritual gift, John MacArthur had these insightful words. He said, each believer's gift is unique. The measure or specific portion given is by sovereign design from the head of the church. The Lord has measured out the exact proportion of each believer's gift. The exact proportion of enabling grace on the part of God is linked with the exact proportion of enacting faith on the part of each believer. And God is the source. The sum of this is that God gives both the grace and the faith to energize whatever gift he gives to the full intent of his purpose. So it's important to understand that aspect. It is a gift by God, and it's never going to demonstrate or express itself exactly the same way in two people. It's also important to understand that it is God who sovereignly distributes these gifts so that we are not to seek any gift. The Bible never teaches us to go seek a spiritual gift. They're given at salvation, and they are distributed by God himself. Where do we read that? 1 Corinthians 12, 11. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Since God is the one who has determined what gift we get, then in addition to not seeking any gift, you are not to use your spiritual gift to exalt yourself or to try to impress others. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, that the Lord gives these gifts for, and I quote, the common good, meaning the good of the church. They're given for us to use in helping others, not for our sake. Peter says the same thing, essentially, in 1 Peter 4, 10. He says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, All you need to see how this was messed up is the Corinthian assembly. The Corinthians were guilty of messing this whole thing up because they were trying to have the most showy gifts and to exalt themselves. And that's why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13. It is not about marriage. The love chapter is about you are to use your spiritual gift in love, not to exalt yourself. I remember a man who attended here years ago who wanted so desperately to teach a Sunday school class, but when given the opportunity, it became a platform for him to tell everyone how qualified he was to teach and what a great, wonderful teacher he was. And this is completely contrary to the purpose of the gift of teaching, which is to teach Christ and to exalt him and to edify his church, not to exalt ourselves. So, I hope this gives you just this little introduction, just a foundation for where Paul is going to take us in this next section about gifts that Christ gives to his church. Because if you understand this, you'll understand how a church is to function in a healthy manner. You'll understand the importance of using your spiritual gift. You'll understand Christ's love for the church, that he's given gifts to individuals to build up the body of Christ. You'll see how a church is to mature in a healthy manner and and grow and that it takes everybody in the body. Among other things we learn today is that spiritual gifts are given to us by God and it's never going to demonstrate or express itself exactly the same way in two people. 
It's also important to understand that it is God who sovereignly distributes these gifts so that we are not to seek any gift. The Bible never teaches us to go seek a spiritual gift. They're given at salvation and they are distributed by God himself. I hope today's verse by verse was a blessing to each of you and that you will be able to join us next time as Pastor Steve Kreloff continues with our series of Unity and Spiritual Growth. I would like to remind you that as a listener to Verse by Verse, you have a standing invitation to attend Lakeside Community Chapel if you are in the Clearwater, Florida area. There you will be able to hear more great biblical teaching from Pastor Steve Kreloff. So, until next time, I hope you have a blessed day. Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.